hello from your favorite Grasslands PR team. That's us. <laughs> this week we're back with another reason why these overlooked and underappreciated ecosystems are objectively the best biome. I'm Rachel. I'm Nicole. And today we're talking about some different models of conservation. So we're in a deep dive into biosphere reserves, but also look at some other ways that various organizations around the world are trying to conserve their wildlife and the pros and cons and stuff like that. So it'll be fun. Ooh, okay. Um, before we jump into Nicole's episode, I have a five-star review to share. Woo. Hey. This is from Anna who left possibly the best podcast review I've ever seen, and I can't believe it's on our podcast. (laughs) Uh, Anna says, It's like if Ologies and the Jenna and Julian podcast hybridized and turned both the chaos and the education up to 10. Seriously, this podcast will make you laugh your grass off. (laughs) I I am just stunned I know. Into a lack of words. Like, I can't... (laughs) What what an honor. I cannot comprehend the fact that this was directed at our podcast. I Uh, know. It's so good. (laughs) So, thank you. Thank you so much, Anna. Um, Really appreciate it. And Anna's review helped uh, donate to Meals on Wheels. If you leave a review on Podchaser, which is one of the only two places we know of you can leave reviews besides Apple Podcasts, uh, Podchaser is actually donating 25 cents for every review this month to Meals on Wheels. So you have like, uh, when is this coming out? Wednesday? You have like nine days (laughs) to, or something like that. Yeah, to leave us a review and have it count towards something more than just making us feel good about ourselves. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, it, it really helps us anyway, uh, but this is a chance to also help some some people with your review. So that's pretty neat. And that's all I've got. So without further ado, uh, let's talk about some models of conservation. <laughs> yes, yes, please. I, I It sounds dry, but we're going to make it fun and... I think that it's really important for people to know the different kinds of models that are out there so that we know how they can improve. And if you are voting age, you can vote for or against these things. Like use your power that you have, write letters, do some, you know, really cool, what is it called? Advocacy. Yes. Advocacy. (laughs) Advocacy, volunteer work, even promoting things. I mean, there's a reason why we call ourselves the Grasslands PR team, because even though there's a lot of things going on for Grasslands, it's not often highlighted in the way that we think it should be. And that's an important component of conservation work is just, you know, spreading the word. Yes, absolutely. So let's dive in. (laughs) Okay. And with an endorsement like Anna's, we know it's not going to be dry, Nicole, so don't even worry no, about yeah. it. There you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, we've talked a little bit about biosphere reserves already, but I just want to go over the basics of them really quick, just so everyone is on the same page, just in case you haven't listened to this episode yet. Um, so this is directly from uh, the UNESCO website. Biosphere reserves are learning places for sustainable development. They are sites for testing interdisciplinary approaches to understanding and managing changes and interactions between social and ecological systems. 
They are places that provide local solutions to global challenges. And I just love that description. It's spot on. It's 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 really good. good. (laughs) It's everything you want in a conservation program. Yes, it really is. And yeah, I just love that these exist. I hate that people don't know more about them. I hate that I don't know more about them, so I'm really (laughs) glad that we're talking about it. (laughs) Yes, yes. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, they're just... And there's a lot of buzzwords in there, so of course they have to market themselves, just like any other organization. But they really do try to, you know, keep the power of preserving this land and everything that's on it, the plants, the animals, and the people, they keep that power to the local government or even to the local people living on that land. And that is very different than a lot of other models of conservations that exist. Yeah. And I just, yeah, it's so good. I love it. And in a biosphere reserve, they do have three different kind of rings to them. In the middle, we have the core area, which is also known as the strictly protected zone. And it's focused pretty much entirely on research and conservation. So that area is pretty much just for scientists to, you know, go in and do stuff. It's for the animals. It's for the plants. There's not a lot of activity on that as far as humans go. Around the core area, we have the buffer zone, which will also have research and things like that. But it also includes activities that are not harmful to the environment and are very sustainable. So um, you can have ecotourism, you can have light human settlement, you can even have, you know, sustainable farming and things like that happening within the buffer zone. Mm. And the buffer zone can, sometimes the core area can be kind of multiple different spaces within a larger biosphere reserve. So around each core area, there will be a buffer zone, which I thought was interesting. It's not always just like smaller circle inside of a smaller circle kind of thing. Oh. Um, There can be multiple core areas. So. Oh, okay. So it can be almost an island of core areas within a buffer zone. Yes. Okay. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Super cool. And then outside of the buffer zone, so, you know, an even bigger donut, is the transition area. This tends to be um, a little bit more heavily populated, um, but it is still focused on education of the people living there and education of people outside of that area and a very healthy human environment relationship. So once you're outside of the transition area, you have no more, you know, regulations or anything like that. Um, but the transition area tends to be fairly large. So it depends on, you know, which exact biosphere reserve you're looking at, but they do, if you go to the UNESCO website, each and every biosphere reserve does like very specifically list out like how big is the core area? How big is the buffer zone? How big is the transition area? And I think that's really, really cool. Mm -hmm. And it's cool to look at those numbers. And maybe you're going to get into this more in a minute, but uh, when you were describing the transitional zone, mm-hmm. you said uh, something about what was the language you used on the human? A healthy human environment relationship. Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> what, like, that's such a vague description. <laughs> yes. It's so, and I will say this is one of the biggest maybe downfalls of bios reserves is that the wording is kind of vague and. Mm. It's almost 
kind of on purpose too, because since there is the international kind of collection, I guess, of biosphere reserves under UNESCO, they have to have a framework that they're all working under. Mm-hmm. But since UNESCO does not directly, you know, monitor and protect that land, it's up to the individual government or the individual peoples living there. Each biosphere reserve will have different, you know, laws and rules in place in order to meet these criteria. So it's really hard to say exactly, you know, what counts as a healthy human environment relationship. But essentially, it's, you know, something that is sustainable. So it's something that, which again, sustainable is also kind of a vague, buzzwordy kind of word. But if something is sustainable, it means, you know, you're not clear cutting that forest. Maybe you log it in chunks and you let the forest regrow. So it's Mm -hmm. making sure that you're never running out of a resource, whether that's fish or bison or, you know, whatever. Yeah. So. Okay. No, that, and that's good because I guess depending on what ecosystem you're looking at, mm-hmm. um, what makes it sustainable would look very, very different. And so, you know, like you said, you can't have a one size fits all model of conservation for such a broad yes. category of places. Yes, because biosphere reserves, they can be terrestrial, and that's mountains, plains, forests, like literally every system we can think of. But they can also be marine and even like coastal ecosystems. So they can be a lot of different things. Ooh, now I'm trying to picture, this is not, this is a distraction, but I'm trying to picture what a coastal biosphere would look like when a coast is a line and not concentric rings. Yes. So (laughs) funny you should mention that. Oh, Um, no. (laughs) So there are 714, currently in 2021, 714 biosphere reserves in 129 counties, countries, not counties. Hmm. So there's a lot out there. And they, again, they all look different. But something that I had no idea was that there are entire islands that are considered a biosphere reserve fascinating like what just like the whole island (laughs) so um the galapagos uh archipelago (gasps) is Ah! a biosphere reserve yep hell yeah (laughs) um the azores archipelago four of the islands there you're freaking kidding me no the azores yes how do we not know galapagos the azores these are not (laughs) things that we personally are unfamiliar with (laughs) no not at all so you know four of the islands in the azores archipelago are biosphere reserves flores uh corvu saljores and graciosa and like i have family that lives here (laughs) yeah i know (laughs) so i had no idea i had no idea that's freaking crazy so you've been to multiple biospheres, Nicole. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah, and I don't, and admittedly, everything was in Portuguese, and my Portuguese is not super good, but I don't remember seeing any, like, signage or anything. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. It's interesting. And I did spend, most of my time was spent, um, you know, in the cities, kind of getting more of a uh, human cultural aspect, which biosphere reserves are also, they're not just protecting wildlife. They're also protecting like the human component and culture as well. Um, Mm -hmm. UNESCO also collects, I guess, (laughs) and runs the world heritage sites. Yeah. So have you not heard of that? 
No, I, I've heard of the okay, so make sure. World Heritage Sites, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. So, like, um, yeah, World Heritage Sites across the world are also, like, under UNESCO. So they very much, you know, are all about saving not just the environment, but, you know, our human stories as well. And I think that that's really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and really important. And I think some sometimes there's there's a feeling from the general public and even mm-hmm. conservationists sometimes that uh those things are not connected and yeah. that conservation means like erasing human yes. influences and human stories and human history and stuff and that's completely not how it should be and it's no. really cool to have an organization that we can blatantly point to where that's part of their focus it's built into the model Yes, absolutely. And it's it's not not hidden. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And like, if you go to their website, like it's not, it's not just lip service, like they are actively doing tons of work with people and like elevating indigenous voices. And like, they do really, really awesome work. If you ever feel like just throwing $5 at an organization, UNESCO (laughs) is the way to go. Let's be real. Maybe grass and groupies too. But you know, okay, but (laughs) If you can spare another $5, do both. Yes. <laughs> if you got $10, $5 to them, $5 to us. Great re- great investment. <laughs> great, great investment. So, what the heck is UNESCO? Because I keep saying that. I imagine some people don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> UNESCO stands for United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. So, oh. you know, culture, culture is right there in their name. And their mission statement, directly from their website, as a specialized agency of the United Nations, UNESCO, contributes to the building of peace, the eradication of poverty, and the sustainable development and intercultural dialogue through education, the sciences, culture, communication, and information. So they're not just tackling environmental issues, but hunger, poverty, and one of their big focuses right now is actually gender equality. Mm. And underneath UNESCO, you know, we have this huge network of biosphere reserves, but it's also broken down into kind of smaller networks. And they are based not only on region of the world, but then there's also ecosystem specific networks. So the ecosystems that they kind of focus on are dry lands, mangroves, marine, coastal and island areas, and then mountains, tropical forest, wetlands, and savannas. Eee! Hey, I'll take it. It's not yes. plains. Yeah. It's plains erasure, but I'll take it. It's a grassland. Okay, let's go. Right, right. <laughs> At least it's some kind of grassland. And also, all six of the grasslands um, that are in this particular region are in West Africa. So... There are, there are other oh. savannas out there, but at least they are being recognized. So, like you said, I'll take it. <laughs> wait, but, so wait, hang on. Um, all yes. of the savannas that they have protected are in West Africa? All of the savannas within the savanna-specific ecosystem network. Oh. So there's, there's six reserves within this network, and all of them are in West Africa. Okay. Yes. Because, as you know, 
because I accidentally spoiled it last night. <laughs> there's <laughs> there's not certain, accidentally. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but you know, there is a wonderful wooded uh, grassland that is also a biosphere reserve. Would you like to tell everyone? It's the Sahado Biosphere Reserve. I can't believe I didn't know. <laughs> I know. Uh, is it? Is it the entire? I don't think it's the entire Sahado, though. I think it's like a specific part of the Sahado. I don't know. I only glanced at the thing mm-hmm. you sent me. She had to tell me for a, a completely unrelated reason, yeah. but um, I I was afraid to read too deeply into it for fear that I would spoil something for today's recording. Sure, but I, I do I do have it pulled up. Okay, yeah, okay, I have it pulled up just for you. Um, uh, and it even says, you know, it includes the Sahado, dense savanna woodlands. Like, this, yes, it's, it's, it's a savanna. Like, why is this not within the savanna regional, whatever? It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> so it says that it is 29 million hectares. hectares. So I don't know how big the Sahado is, but I'm assuming that's most of it. 29 million hectares? Yes. Okay, I'm going to go look this stuff up. I think I have it on our website. Two million square kilometers is the full Sejado biome. Uh, Okay, whatever number of hectares I said earlier. Wait. Yeah, 29 million hectares to square kilometers is 290 square kilometers. So I guess it's not. Oh, it's not the entire thing. Okay. Man, I do have on on our webpage though uh, mm-hmm. one of the or two of the UNESCO World Heritage sites in the Sahara. Oh, nice! So nice. are those biosphere reserves the Chapada dos uh, Vanderos and Amas National Parks? Um, the first one is mentioned as part of the biosphere reserve. Yes. Oh, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Gosh, the, the second one is not specifically mentioned on this website, but it could still be included. I'm not sure. Okay. Oh my gosh! On this World Heritage site, it literally has the Biosphere Reserve Sejado <laughs> listed. How did how did this like completely pass our radar? I'm so wow. concerned about this and so upset that we didn't know this. Okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. And and they have them both listed as being. Yep. Okay. So it's both uh, Amas National Park and the Chapada dos Veadeiros. Mm-hmm. Which are separated by a huge amount of space. <laughs> I can't think of words, sorry. Good job. Wow. Good job. They're both in the Goyaz. Yeah. Oh my god, I've been to Goyaz. I haven't been to those spe- <laughs> You've been specific to a na- national parks, but I may have been uh-huh. in a biosphere reserve. Nice. What on earth? Nicole, I'm so... Because... Wait, where in Goyaz is this? What the... I mean... What? <laughs> I'm losing my mind. Biosphere reserves are more than a park. So I guarantee you, you're probably within the reserve, even if you were just in the transitional zone, you know? Yeah. Well, I must have been Mm -hmm. in some kind. Well, because there was, we we were on uh, farmland, but there Mm -hmm. was also nearby protected areas too. They weren't part of that. Like the ones I went to weren't part of UNESCO World Heritage Sites, but it doesn't mean it was part, it wasn't part of the biosphere reserve. Yeah. What on earth? (laughs) <laughs> oh, I'm upset, but like in a good way. Is that Aww. is that a thing? That's got to be a thing because it's happening to me right now. <laughs> what the oh, heck? Gosh. This makes me so happy though because Aww. 
I don't know. Sometimes conservation feels very doom and gloom. And it's so yeah. nice to know, like, areas that we've literally been to that we mm-hmm. have, like, personal stakes in that we freaking love are already more protected than we had any idea that they were. Yes, absolutely. So that is such a good feeling to have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so glad. I didn't get to surprise you that it was a biosphere reserve, but that was still a, a wonderful reaction. <laughs> oh, yeah, thanks. Gosh, that's crazy. Places that we, we both have family in mm-hmm. are freaking biosphere reserves. <laughs> Wait, have you have you worked on Kanza Prairie too? Um, I have not. I've been there, I've visited, Ooh, um, but okay. I've not done any like actual research on it. So I I wanted to because it's it's hard to talk about these like so broadly. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I kind of want to like narrow it down a little bit, and I want to look at some of the biosphere reserves in the U.S. And I have good news and bad news. Oh, um. No. The United States currently has 28 biosphere reserves, which is quite a lot. It's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. However, mm. before 2017, we had an additional 19. So we've lost 19 biosphere reserves in the last four years. In 2017, we lost 17, two in 2018, and one in 2019. And I have some really bad news for you, Rachel, in particular. I'm so... Uh... Okay, hit me. Kanza Prairie was removed from the Biosphere Reserve Network in June 2017. Why? Why? Jacus. I I know why. Do I is is it because of the administration that we had last? It is. It 100% is. So biosphere reserves, every 10 years, they are up for review by UNESCO. Um, Unfortunately for these 19 sites we've lost in the last few years, um, they were under a certain administration that, you know, was actively... You can say the Donald Trump administration. Yes. The Donald Trump administration that was actively, you know, taking away all sorts of protections for our wildlife. And, you know, he could have very easily have renewed these, but, you know, decided not to. So was it directly, like, was it, was it, um, like a cabinet or like appointed official or was it literally like a presidential thing? Cause this is like United Nations, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Uh. <laughs> The U.S. has not been paying its dues since 2011. What the hell is wrong with us? What's wrong with America? Is this going to turn into like the back half of this episode is just crying about how bad America is? Not the back half. (laughs) Just a little bit of it. So the united states first joined unesco at its founding in 1945 and then left again left in 1984. we rejoined in 2003 but in december of 2018 the u.s has once again left unesco and we are not a part of unesco b 
because the Donald Trump administration hates the United Nations and hates cooperation in saving the world. So... (laughs) I mean, that's a little strong. Uh, Grassland well, Rupees, you know. as a nonprofit organization, <laughs> does not support or condemn any particular public officials. But we can say that the policies of this administration and its leadership were very bad for all of those things Nicole mentioned, which is an objective <laughs> truth. <laughs> it is. Just Google it. It's insane. So yeah, we are not part of UNESCO. So right now, any new biosphere reserves that come up for review will automatically get declined. Right now, they are still kind of grandfathered in. But if they come up for review, they will not survive and they will be removed from the biosphere network. So even if in 2017, an administration had wanted to support it, the option wasn't even there because we haven't been paying our dues? Probably. I mean, technically, we were still part of UNESCO from 2013 through 2018, even though we hadn't been paying our dues. Uh, But I don't know exactly what that looks like as far as renewal for biosphere reserves. So, yeah. I'm really upset right now. (laughs) I know. I was, too, when I was writing this. And I was like, should I include it? And I was like, yeah, let's get Rachel riled up. Let's see what happens. (laughs) Is it possible to be so riled up that, like, you just completely, like, mentally black out? Oh, my god! Because I feel, I feel like that's what's happening to me right now. Oh, no. Okay, well, let's move I on. I kind of feel like I'm going to cry. <laughs> no, I might don't be cry. tearing up a little bit. No, it's like, no, it's no, such no. an easy thing to, like, it is. be cooperative, to try and work with other nations to mm-hmm. make our world better. It's such a cool program to be a part it's of such a cool that's not trying to screw people over. I mean, I guess if your goal mm-hmm. is to completely exploit every natural resource that's possible to exploit, and then the it's working against there. you and the people yeah. living there. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe it's working against you, but come on. Yeah. Come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's especially frustrating cuz with this program, like it's not like UNESCO is now owns that land and is now telling you what to do. Like, yeah. We can still do whatever we want, like, as long as it falls within the framework of the Biosphere Reserve Program. So it's especially frustrating. So, yeah, I don't get it. But anyways, enough about the United States and our shortcomings. No, I'm not. That's no. My notes. Is there, can we have more? Okay. <laughs> no, we got to move on. Don't censor how bad America is. Oh. If it's relevant to bring up. No, yeah, you're fine. Did you not just hear me bring it up? <laughs> I did, but I'm just saying, don't <laughs> uh-huh. stop on my accord if there's okay. more things that need to be discussed. No, that was literally, that was the end of it in my notes. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> there's always more to discuss, but that's going to need like a whole 10 part episode. So it's fine. <sighs> okay. Okay. Here, I'm going to, I'm going to say something positive before we move on. Okay. Okay. The fact that this has happened and that we can't even add more in if we wanted to, like this gives mm. us something concrete to work on. Yes. That is like a really simple solution because we've literally done it already. Yes. If this makes you mad, write a letter, write an email, call someone. Like, if we are loud about it, we might be able to make a difference. So enough about the United States and our shortcomings <laughs> in conservation. we got to move on. Okay. <laughs> there's, there's more to say, but we got to move on for now. Okay. 
the man in the biosphere program, MAB, is kind of the or, the subsection of UNESCO that oversees all of the biosphere reserves. And they are actually turning 50 in 2021. So yay! Aww, yay! So let's focus back in on biospheres and what <laughs> okay. it means to be a biosphere and all that kind of fun stuff. And again, UNESCO is very open about this information. You can find it on their website, unesco.org slash MAB. Super cool. But I found this roadmap and it talks, you know, very specifically about what you need to be a biosphere reserve program. And again, it it's very specific, but it also has a lot of wiggle room because they are relying on the local, you know, government and people there to then, you know, take care of that land. But it's mm-hmm. still, you know, there is a process to this. You have to be approved by, you know, a board and all that fun stuff. So in the statutory framework document that I found, um, it says that biosphere reserves should, one, include representative regions of the biogeography of an area, including humans. Okay. Number two should be an area of significant biological diversity. Number three, provide opportunities for sustainable development. Number four, be of an appropriate size. Number five, (laughs) include a core area, buffer zone, and transition area. Number six, include organizational arrangements to include local government and communities. And number seven, have a plan laid out for how each zone is used, as well as plans for research and management on those lands. Mm. So okay. I love that they're, you know, it's not just, ooh, put some land out there and, you know, now people can't <laughs> be there. Like, it's it like you have to use it for research. You have to have a plan for how you're going to manage it. You have to have people on that land. Like, that is part of of the requirements yeah that's cool yes i just love it and they have if you deep dive into some of their organizational documents just the way that they run these is just it's it's a well-oiled machine they have very clearly defined goals that they want to meet in the next you know five ten etc years mm-hmm. and i just it's so refreshing to see something like so well laid out like that. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And it's loose enough again, like we keep saying that no matter where you are and what your local regulations are and stuff, you you can work within that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I did kind of, you know, one, one of the requirements, like an appropriate size. What is, what does that even mean? Yeah. I wondered (laughs) that too. (laughs) So I kind of, Uh, looked a little bit deeper on that one. So, you know, what is an appropriate size? And basically, it's one that is big enough to accomplish everything the biosphere is hoping to accomplish. So those scientific Mm. studies, the cultural diversity, and the ecosystem management. Again, still a little bit loosey-goosey, but I (laughs) spent like an hour, I spent way too long on this, literally <laughs> looking at every single biosphere reserve and seeing how big they were. <laughs> wow, Nicole. 
Because I was curious. And (laughs) no one has ever looked this up before, apparently. Because I just Googled, like, largest biosphere reserve and nothing came up. And I I Googled (laughs) smallest biosphere reserve and nothing came up. So. Oh, wow. I had to do it myself. (laughs) That's incredible. What have you discovered? (laughs) Hey, you know what? Yes. Now people are going to know it. Because you're going to put this on our blog, right? Yeah, of course. Now that you've done the work. Yeah, you better do something with it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So. I immediately went to Brazil for largest biosphere reserve because I had a feeling that the Amazon biosphere reserve, because the Amazon (gasps) rainforest is a biosphere reserve. Of course. Beautiful. Would certainly be the biggest one. The central Amazon biosphere reserve in Brazil is 20,859,000 hectares. Okay. Wow. Pretty dang big. Okay. But it is not the biggest one. (laughs) The biggest one, whose name I cannot pronounce, but we're going to try, is the Air de Teneri Biosphere Reserve in Niger. And it is 23,970 hectares. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it has 3 million hectares on the Amazon Biosphere Reserve. Good grief. Which is significant, to say the least. Um, Um, Yeah. So it is absolutely huge. So this biosphere reserve uh, is actually mostly desert, um, but mm. it is really fascinating. Um, there's 30,000 people that live here, um, and a lot of them are uh, camel and goat raising, agriculture, um, very traditional kind of means of life. That sounds like a very small number of people for the amount of land Yes. Well, it is a desert, so it's very oh, hard okay. to, <laughs> right, right. to, you know, live in a desert. Um, but people are doing it. And there's a lot of, you know, really cool uh, gazelles and all sorts of really cool animals that live here. So there's even monkeys that live in parts of it. So, oh. yeah. so that's, that's the biggest one. The smallest. Are you ready? It's mm. so small. Oh, I kept finding really small ones. And I was like, surely that's the smallest one. <laughs> and then I kept finding even smaller ones. And I don't know. I just love that it is possible for even a f- fairly small area to have like this really prestigious title to it. But anyways, there are quite a few that are less than a thousand square kilometers. Mm-hmm. And then there is the Mount Carmel Biosphere Reserve in Israel. And it is 266 square kilometers. Oh my god, it's a baby. <laughs> so 266 square kilometers is about, is just over 100 square miles. So it is a very small piece of land, but that does not mean yeah. that it's not important. And therefore, it is a biosphere reserve. Aww. <laughs> I love that there's not like a size requirement so that these small places can be protected at like first i wasn't completely sold on that it was like you know an adequate size but i mean Mm -hmm. this like seeing seeing what that looks like in practice really helps you understand the value of of that lack of restriction i guess yeah yes yeah absolutely but yeah i just i love it so that's biosphere reserves that's all i had on them but it doesn't mean that that's all I have. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, 
I found on accident while looking through this another kind of <laughs> large scale conservation program that's going on right here in the American Prairie. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. So biosphere reserves, you know, they focus on kind of an ecosystem-wide approach. And, you know, this is a very good way to go about conservation because you're not just taking, you know, little tiny pieces of land and saying, yay, we did it. You're preserving, you know, wildlife corridors and all this, you know, really cool stuff. You're preserving the whole picture, even if it's a very small picture, like in the case of the last biosphere reserve that we looked at. Mm -hmm. So... The American Prairie Preserve is a nonprofit organization that is looking at stitching together, a quote from their website, stitching together 3 million acres of existing public lands using private lands purchased from willing sellers. So they are taking these already big chunks of public lands that exist, Mm -hmm. and they're also buying private lands around them in order to stitch it together to make it a fully functioning ecosystem with, you know, all the native wildlife and the migration corridors and all those other things that are so useful for our wildlife, especially in grasslands, because they naturally move a lot. And as soon as that bear or that bison or what have you moves off of a piece of protected land, a lot of times it tends to be free game. So it's important that we can try to preserve a big chunk of land in order to then keep those animals safe. Yeah. Dude, I think I've heard of this. Do they, are they like setting Mm -hmm. up a tourism sort of stuff as part of the use of these lands? I feel like I've heard of something like this that had like a yurts. What are those things called? Yeah, like tents and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They do have ecotourism as a big part of their conservation kind of idea. Like they are big on getting people out to see this land. And like I said, it's all becoming public land after they buy it from these private uh, sellers. So right now they currently have um, just over 419,000 acres, which is quite a bit smaller than the 3 million that they are working towards. Um, but they, they're getting there. Um, and each year it grows. So it's just a really, really cool idea. And it's yeah interesting to kind of see it from not quite ground zero. They've been around for a few years, but it'll be interesting to see it grow. Yeah, this is a really cool project. Yes, I it is. love it. <laughs> and this is up in Montana, just for those that are unaware. Okay. So they have been doing some really cool research on this land that they have. And like I said, it is public access with trails. And they even had a nature center recently built. I think 2015, Mm. their nature center was built. Um, And so, you know, they recognize, you know, that temperate grasslands are very much in danger and they need conservation. Um, So and this is, again, according to their website. So, you know, grain of salt. But they say that scientists have identified that there are only four places left across the world where landscape scale conservation of grasslands is still possible. And this area wow. in Montana is one of those four. Yeah. I I assume um, the Flint Hills would be on that list, too. I would assume. But at the same time, we only have 2% of the Flint Hills left from its historic ranges. Mm-hmm. So is it even if we preserve all that's left? Does it even count? Is yes. it good enough? Who knows? I don't know. I mean, it's better than not 
having what's left you yeah, know, in a stretch rack. But I hear what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. But if you visit their website, you can find some of their really cool research that they that they've done. Um, one that I thought was just very wholesome and very cute was that they did a bio blitz in 2011. And I just love bio blitzes. And so for those unfamiliar, a bio blitz is just you set aside, in this case, it was 24 hours. And you just go out onto this piece of land, usually with pretty, you know, defined boundaries, and you find everything that you could possibly find, whether it's a bug, a lizard, a plant, whatever, and you ID it. And they collect all those species. And it's just a way of one, getting usually the public out, um, but also scientists and things like that, and having a concentrated effort to see what exists on this piece of land. So um, like I said, theirs was 24 hours. Uh, they did find 550 species, and that's everywhere from like lichen. They found like so many different kinds of lichen. I don't wow. know what lichen nerd was out there, but good job. Yeah, seriously. Um, <laughs> and then I think over 100 different species of birds as well. So lots of wow. birds out there. Good and job. um they yeah, seriously. And they focused on an area that was only uh, about 32,000 acres. I say only. That's still a big chunk of land, but like they have so much room to grow with this kind of uh, you know, concentrated effort. They have over 400,000 acres. So, hmm. you know, 32 is not very much in the grand scheme of things. Um, and they even, so I found this really cool article. They donated over 4,000 pounds of bison meat to a local Whoa. food bank last year. Yeah. Whoa. To help feed people during the pandemic. That's 12,000 servings of bison meat that they just donated. Wow. Oh my God. That is so cool. It's so cool. And like they have these really, really healthy bison herds that are, you know, like pure bison because we do have an issue with bison um, in the prairie where a lot of them are actually bison cow hybrids. And sometimes they're called beefalo, but they also yeah. <laughs> have another name, which I did not know existed. Um, they are also sometimes called catalo, like cattle, buffalo, catalo. <laughs> that's way too close to cantaloupe for my taste. <laughs> I know. It's so weird. Oh, um, that's funny. But whether you call it a beefalo or a catalo depends no, on no, no, no. how- Oh, never mind. There's a reason? Okay. I, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, you have to call reason. it a beefalo. It's objectively better, but never mind. What? No. I hate this. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so whether you call it a beefalo or a catalo actually depends on like how much bison they have in them. Like if it's like 25% bison versus like 75% bison oh uh, versus cow. Yeah. I had no idea. I got on a weird rabbit hole about beefalo. So beefalo are mostly cow and then catalo are mostly bison. That doesn't make sense to me. I know. It doesn't. But I didn't make the rules. Okay. That, how is that a rule? That's a terrible rule. <laughs> I don't like it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, but anyways, so beefalo in particular. Catalos are not really... God, I just that name. Like I like shuddered when I said it. Catalos are not really sought after, but beefalos are. So beefalos, Weird. according to the American Beefalo Association.com. So again, grain of salt. They obviously have, you know, an agenda to push. But beefalo mm-hmm. are very desirable. 
due to their meat containing more protein, less fat, less cholesterol, and less calories with all of the flavor. Beefalo also have um, really good resistance to diseases because of the bison and mm-hmm. do really well in extreme climates compared to cattle. So, but yeah, that's my weird <laughs> rabbit hole about beefalo. Okay. I just thought it was interesting. <laughs> that's it. What were we even talking about? Well, I don't know. It's your episode, man. I'm completely lost. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Are we going back to that? <laughs> yeah. The American Prairie Reserve. Preserve. Not reserve. The APR. Uh. The American Prairie Preserve. They do actually have quite a bit of controversy surrounding them. So, like I said, mm-hmm. they are primarily growing because they are buying private land. And that private land is coming, you know, from the hands of local farmers that for generations have been working that land. Yeah. And, you know, people worry about their way of life being lost. I found an interesting NPR article covering the APR, and they mentioned that, you know, everywhere in Montana, you can see signs that say, save the cowboy, stop the American Prairie Preserve. And, you know, as land prices are soaring and, you know, the price of meat is not soaring alongside of that, Mm -hmm. it's becoming harder and harder for these people to, you know, keep their land. A lot of the cells are not so much, hey, I'm done, you know, being a farmer or done being a rancher. It's I cannot afford to do this anymore. So I am selling my land. So people find that the American Prairie Preserve are preying on, you know, ranchers. Sure, I can see that. Mm -hmm. Or, or you know, from their perspective, it would seem like they're they're being taken advantage of in this time of kind of desperation almost. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man, that sucks. Not to, you know, sour the mood, but... No, I think it's important... Yes. To to look at those things. You know, like we, we started off this episode by saying that it's so easy in conservation to completely forget the human dimension. And that applies mm-hmm. to people who feel like they're cowboy way of life. So I'm trying to yeah. use their language for, you know, the, the piece of their history they feel like they're losing. Like, that's an important thing to look at, too. It is. And on the other hand, though, which I find kind of interesting, is that there are actually two local uh, Native American tribes that are showing um, great support for the project. Okay. Um, especially, you know, the they're very excited to see the bison returning to the area because that's yeah. a really important animal to them. Um, in 2017, the American Prairie Preserve had over 800 bison roaming the prairie, which is significant um, for an area that, you know, pretty much had all of their bison wiped out. Yeah. There's always pluses and minuses to every conservation effort, and it is it is a fine line that uh, any conservation area is kind of walking, is how do you preserve that land without, you know, taking it away from people that are already living there? Um, so... Mm-hmm. I do wonder if there might be some kind of a middle ground that the American Prairie Preserve might be able to kind of strike and look at it more from a biosphere, you know, reserve yeah, I was thinking kind of mindset. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I don't know. It, it's an interesting thought. Um, and, you know, 
if they keep buying private land, it's probably just going to continue increasing that tension between them and, you know, ranchers that are in that area. Right. But also, you know, from their perspective, I, I mm. mean, they want to buy the land. And so it's, yes. it's, it's hard to navigate that, it that is. space. Huh. Absolutely. And it's like, you know, we're trying to create this, you know, three million acre you know, piece of land where animals can thrive once again in the American prairie. And it's going to be, you know, one of the biggest chunks of American prairie that is then available for public use and for education. And, you know, they have all of these big dreams that are positive and amazing, but it is hard to navigate, you know, the the people and the social and the cultural aspect of it too. Yeah. Man, this is the kind of situation where you know, I've I've looked at some conservation efforts. I mean, a lot of conservation efforts just through doing this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, if it's if it's a priority, not just for an NGO but for a government mm-hmm. to make this happen, you know, you can support the people living on the land in yes. doing something like you know having good conservation practices. Um, Mm -hmm. by providing them with economic stability in some other way, like through, um, all I can think of is the word stimulus, but, um, (laughs) what is, what is, uh, subsidies? Yeah. Subsidies. Thank you. Um, you know, like we, we spend a lot of money subsidizing ranching and agriculture already. And it would be cool to see that kind of, um, effort to support things like conservation and cattle ranching you know if there was a way to like work from the ngo perspective the nonprofit organization perspective and the uh ranching perspective to to create sort of something like a biosphere program where you know uh ranchers who enter into this program have their livelihoods subsidized in order to have good conservation practices and continue using their mm-hmm. land and enter into a part of a protected area. Like that's not a, a crazy idea. And it's something that a lot of places no. already do. It's something that America already does, maybe not in the biosphere way, mm-hmm. but um, that's, it's not a crazy idea. You know, we, we already are spending a lot of money trying to keep, you know, meat prices down and, and stuff like that. Yeah. There's already so much and it would be such a small portion of of what we already do to support humans and this would be another way to support people in addition to the environment and i think that that's something i wish americans were able to take a closer look at without it being politicized yes no absolutely like you said it's not impossible to do but it just comes down to whether or not we're willing to do it or not Mm -hmm. yeah so there's you know two just two out of like hundreds if not thousands of examples of you know organizations that are working to save grasslands in the case of unesco other habitats i guess and they have two different approaches to it and they both have their positives and they both have their downsides and i think that they have a lot to learn from each other perhaps yeah yeah no absolutely don't reinvent the wheel when there's so many yes programs out there that are doing good work in a way that works that we could learn from yes absolutely rejoin the united nations start paying your dues put this 
work into an NGO, make, or not an NGO, sorry, put this work into a biosphere reserve, make the mm-hmm. NGO land the core land, and then, you know, the, the ranches around it can be entered into some kind of mm-hmm. protection agreement. Like, we can do this, guys, let's do it. Let's <laughs> make these people feel like their way of life isn't being destroyed, while also yes. doing this good conservation work, doing the work that the indigenous people are so excited to see happening, doing the work yes. that the, the scientists and environmentalists are so happy to see doing, and preserve the cattle lands around it without having to buy it from the ranchers. Like, we mm-hmm. can do this, guys. Let's get on it. We can do it. If this makes you mad, vote. Make sure that you are talking to your representatives. And let's make a difference. Like, if we all get together, and we're all loud, and we're all mad about it, you can make a difference. You really can. Yes! It Sometimes, you know, letter writing and calling people and all that kind of thing, it doesn't sound very exciting, I'll admit. <laughs> but if no one knows that this is an issue, it'll never get fixed. I learned recently that the very first... Earth Day, because Earth Day is coming up, the very first Earth Day in 1970 had 10% of the American population on the streets marching to save the Earth. Wow. Did you have any idea that it was that big? No. I had no idea. From that march in 1970, things like the Environmental Protection Agency came to being specifically because of that march. The Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act, all of these huge acts of legislation came to being because people got mad and they, you know, talked about it and they made their voices heard. Mm. It's not impossible. And I just, it kind of makes me mad now, (laughs) learning at almost 30 that all of these huge things that we tout as being so amazing, like they came from the very first Earth Day and they came because 10% of the American population came out and said, hey, we need to do something and save the Earth. I just love that. This is a good Earth Day episode. What? <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly Earth Day. <laughs> uh, every day is Earth Day. If yes. you like Earth. What? Uh, yes. Did you know there's actually legislation in the works to make <laughs> April Earth Month? So it's oh, not just wow. Earth Day, but That'd Earth be cool. Month. I dig also, it. Also, I was talking with a middle school teacher, and apparently he was like, because I think he's like a sub or something. Okay. But he was telling me, he was like, oh, Earth Day's coming up. What you guys going to do? And the kids were like, what's Earth Day? Um, how old were they? Middle school. They had never done an Earth Day anything. Oh, that surprises me. That's so strange. We always did Earth Day stuff when I was in school. Oh my god, I sound like an old person. (laughs) I know. Back when I was in school. Well, back when I was in school, though, my Earth Day was really lame. And it was just about, like, (laughs) we would, like, plant a stupid plant inside of, like, a paper cup, which, like, oh my gosh, that's not very Earth Day friendly. Um, (laughs) But we would plant a plant inside of a paper cup. And we would take it home and it would die within, like, a week. And, like, that's what we did. And we talked about recycling. And recycling is a scam by big business to make you consume more. And I have a lot of feelings about this. (laughs) Whereas, really, we need to focus. It's the three R's. It's not just recycling. It's reducing and it's reusing. And then recycling when you have no other choice. 
But anyways, that's a whole other yeah, thing. Yeah, um, <laughs> no, get in there, lay it out there, expose it all. Yes. <laughs> Earth Day, Earth Day. Earth Day. I don't know. I have a lot of feelings about it. I could do a whole thing, but I think it's, we need to make sure that kids know about Earth Day, apparently, and we need to tell people how, like, that we're mad about the prairie disappearing and grasslands across the world disappearing. So please, like, this is our call to action for you guys listening right now. Activism can be very simple, or it can be something very big. But right now, I'm just asking for a very simple change. It's really important when we're talking about this kind of things to make sure that you make goals for yourself that are attainable. Maybe this year you cut plastic straws out of your life. Maybe you you know, are just reducing your plastic usage. Maybe you don't cut it out completely, but reduce it. Maybe you go meatless Mondays. Or like if you enjoy things like soda and like uh, like sparkling water and things, get it in an aluminum can instead of uh, plastic because aluminum is actually way easier to recycle and actually gets recycled, whereas plastic usually won't. Yeah. So small changes like that can make a difference. Yeah, we have friends that bought um, Soda Stream. There's probably other yeah. brands. I think that's a brand. You know, if you like mm-hmm. fizzy drinks, like you can make your own without even having to buy Absolutely. cans of. Yes, you can refill the uh, CO2 canisters. Like even at like. Oh. Uh, yeah, so like it's still eco friendly there because you're reusing. <laughs> yeah. Don't throw those out. Refill them. And it's cheaper too if you refill it versus buying a new one. And also buys your reserves. Okay, this is like getting very soapboxy. Do you have any other points that you needed to make, Nicole? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> just, just you know, Earth Day is right around the corner. So do your part. Make a small change. Set attainable goals. That's extremely important. So you don't have to save the world in one year. Just, just take baby steps and inform others. And apparently, let's bring Earth Day back into our schools because they're not doing that anymore i don't know i don't know either Ugh. thanks nicole for awaking some very angry beasts inside of us today <laughs> thank you for also inspiring those angry beasts to feel like there are attainable goals that we can make if you enjoyed this episode or it made you feel things please share with a friend and consider leaving us a review on podchaser or apple podcasts it helps us out a lot. Uh, follow us on social media. If you want to reach out to us, uh, you can contact us on Twitter or just visit our website and stalk us there. That's all I've got to say about that. GrasslandGroupies.org. It's on our show notes blah, 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 in the doobly-doos. That's it. Okay. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Recycling is just an ad campaign from companies who don't want to stop using plastic. It honestly is. Sounds a little, uh, what's the word? Conspiracy theorist. Yeah, so it sounds a little conspiracy theory but it really is. <laughs>